I'm thankful for the opportunity to share this morning as well. That's a, a blessing. And at our church, uh, one of the things that, that we say every week, uh, we kind of have a shorthand way of saying what our purpose as the church is. Our purpose is to know Jesus and make him known. That's our purpose collectively, and that's our purpose as individuals, that, that God wants us to know him. Right? That's why he sent Jesus. He, he wants us to know Jesus and through knowing Jesus to, to be given eternal life. And then while we await the return of Jesus and, and the, the fullness of his kingdom where Jesus is going to come back, and we're going to be in the fullness of his presence and there's going to be no more sin and no more death and sickness and, and, and crying and tears. All those things are going to be gone. And we're going to behold him, right? But until that day, until Jesus returns or, or, or we die and, and we go to him, Jesus has left us with a mission. That mission is to use our lives to glorify him to make the name of Jesus known through the way that we live, through the way that we share the gospel with one another, through the way that we interact uh, with one another. That's what the Bible is about. That's what the Bible is teaching us. Like all of the Bible is about who Jesus is, about what God's doing for his people, for his own glory to rescue a people for himself through his son, Jesus. And so all the Old Testament is pointing to him. All the Old Testament is pointing to these expectations that there's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be an anointed one, a chosen one of the Lord who's going to come and be a deliverer, who's going to come and set things right. He's going to come and, and deal with the problem of sin and deal with the problem of death. And all the Old Testament is developing this kind of expectation. And then when we get to the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Jesus is this Christ. He is this Messiah who's come, right? He's God in the flesh, who's come to live the life that you and I couldn't live, a life of perfect obedience to the Lord, a life of perfect righteousness. And then he's going to die on the cross, right, for our sins. That's what Jesus has accomplished. He didn't deserve to die. Right? He's the only one who ever didn't deserve to die. And yet he willingly gave his life as a ransom for us to pay the penalty for our sin. He hung on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be reconciled to God. We could be made right with God. That's what the Bible's about, right? And then we're, we're promised that Jesus is coming again. And Jesus is bringing the fullness of the new creation, the fullness of his kingdom. And that while we wait for that, right, he's here with us. He sent his spirit here to be with us, to preserve us, to use us, to bring glory to the Father. This morning we're going to look at John chapter 17. So if you have a Bible and you want to turn there, that's where we'll be for the majority of the time. I like to look at a lot of the Bible because I think it helps us to understand all of what's happening in context, you know, with the rest of Scripture and and so we're going to be looking at all of John 17. There's, there's a couple of other places we're going to be turning to uh, today. I'll be reading those things. I'll, I'll tell you where they are if you want to be turning there. But in John chapter 17, Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. And before he does, he prays what we oftentimes refer to as the high priestly prayer. And Jesus is praying for himself. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for the believers. And I think in this prayer, we see really the heart of Jesus. We see who he is. 
We see his relationship to the Father. We see the things that he's come to accomplish. And then we see what he's praying for us as believers. And then we see what he's calling us to do as we await his return. So let's look at it. John chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, referring to, to what would be in John chapter 16, where he's preparing his disciples for his return to the Father, right? He's, he's preparing his disciples, look, I'm about to leave you, right? I'm about to go and, and be lifted up. I'm about to leave you. I'm going to go and be with the Father. And so he, he tells his disciple these things and it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Who we see is Jesus knows that the time to lay his, his life down has come. Jesus isn't unaware of this. This is what Jesus knows he came to accomplish. He came to give his life as a ransom for our sins. This is the way that he's to glorify the Father. This is the way that, that God is showing us that he is a God who is perfectly holy. That no sin can go unpunished because God is a righteous God. And yet... Although God is perfectly just and no sin will go unpunished, he's also a God who is merciful and kind and a God who, who wants to forgive us. And so Jesus is the answer to that problem that the Old Testament has been putting forth. God is going to deliver a people, but how can a sinful people dwell with a holy God? And the answer is that Jesus is going to take the penalty for our sin. And Jesus is going to credit anyone who will believe in him with a righteousness that he that he earns, that he gives to us, that covers us so that we can be restored to relationship with the Father. What we see is it's actually through Jesus' willingness to undergo death for our sins that the Father lifts Jesus up. This is how Jesus is glorified, and it's how he glorifies the Father. And I think we can see some of this in, this in Philippians chapter 2, starting in, in, in verse 5, Paul is talking to believers in the church at Philippi, and he's saying, look, I want you to consider how you should interact with others, okay? Have this kind of mind, and he's going to say, have the mind of Jesus, and he's going to explain what Jesus has done, how Jesus came to serve, even though he's the son of God, how he came to serve. And so Paul tells the believers at Philippi this, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, Though he's the Son of God, the second part of the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, taking on flesh, the God-man, right? Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is how Jesus humbled himself for us, to, to rescue us and, and, and to lift up the name of God, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How do we know the glory of Jesus? Because he he serves in this way. He's perfectly obedient to the Father. He humbles himself. And because of this, through his death and resurrection, God glorifies him. This is God's plan to rescue a people for himself, for his own glory. In his prayer, John 17, Jesus says he's the son of God. Right? He's the Christ, which means Messiah. It's like the Greek way of saying Messiah. And Messiah would be like the Hebrew term for God's anointed one. God's chosen one, the the one who's going to be king. So Jesus says he's the son of God. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's been given all authority over flesh. He's the only one who can be trusted with all authority. He's the only one that, that we would want to be king like this. Yet he humbles himself and he takes on flesh. He experiences our weaknesses and he dies in our place because he's perfectly obedient to the Father. He's come to do the Father's will. And the will of the Father, what Jesus' prayer tells us, the will of the Father is to give eternal life to all who are His. That's what God wants, to give eternal life to His children. And the way we receive this eternal life is through knowing Jesus, through trusting that He is who He says that He is. So what we see is salvation comes through Jesus' revelation of the Father. He's showing the Father to us. He's showing us the Father's character. He's showing us the Father's purposes. And we see this most clearly in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. What we see is those who see Jesus and who believe that He's the Christ, the Son of God, believe in His life, death, and resurrection, believe these things, we're forgiven of our sins. And we're given eternal life. And we're called a child of God. So it's through Jesus' obedience that the Father glorifies him, and all this is to the glory of the Father. And and I think what we see in this is that that's what Jesus' main motivation is. It's the glory of God. And like in God's goodness, what he does for his glory is also for the good of his children. So Jesus' desires that the Father is glorified, And this will happen through the lifting up of Jesus as he accomplishes God's purposes of salvation to save those who are his. So let's look at verse 6, John 17. Jesus says, I've manifested your name to the people. That that, that he's pronounced like, like he's God in the flesh. So people, when people see Jesus, they see God. And, and when God talks about his name, it's, it's talking about revealing his character, okay? I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. And I just want you to listen to this language, okay? Because as, as, as Jesus is praying, we're going to see that God is, is sovereign. God's in control of, of all that's going on. Salvation is a gift of God. It's a work of God that he gives out to his people and... At the very same time, because as as finite people, we want to put God in one box or the other, right? God is sovereign, right? And there's nothing that we do that's important. Or, right, it's all dependent upon us and our decisions. What the Bible says is God is sovereign. 
and, and we're responsible to respond to him. And our response is a gift of God's grace to us. It's the Spirit enabling us to do that. So just listen to the language. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. The people that God gives to Jesus. He says, yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And they've come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, right? But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So Jesus prays for those that the Father has given to him, and that he's revealed the Father to. That's who Jesus is praying for. Jesus prays for himself, right? And now he prays for those the Father has given him. So who belongs to Jesus? That's who Jesus is praying for. Who belongs to Jesus? What Jesus says in his prayer here is, is those that the Father has given to him out of the world. There's this thing in America uh, that we call the frozen chosen as this kind of idea that it doesn't matter how we respond. It doesn't matter what we do. Uh, it doesn't matter if we try to study God's word or, or, or if we ever hear the gospel or not. Like God's predetermined this. It's, it's all like a giant clock and God has wound it up and, and, and it's all just unfolding and, and, and we're all like automatons, okay? This, that's not what this passage is teaching. It's not teaching a, a frozen chosen. It, it's teaching that God is a sovereign God who is bestowing grace to his people. And his people are people who respond to his grace. Those who have been given to Jesus, like I, like I pointed out, are those who have kept God's word. They've received the words that Jesus gave them. They've believed that the Father sent Jesus. If we really know Jesus, our lives are going to look different. Look, none of us are, are going to be perfect until Christ returns or, or we're with him in glory, okay? Because we're still wrestling in, in a, a sinful world. But we've been declared righteous by the Lord if we've trusted in Jesus. And what the Bible says is that we are saved in that moment. We are counted as righteous, okay? And then one day, we actually will have the righteousness of Christ. We won't wrestle with sin anymore and, and between those two points, which is where we are right now if we're a believer, we're being made clean. We're being made like Jesus. And, and the word for that is that we're being sanctified. Okay, so we're going to look different. And if we really know Jesus, we're called to act in faith on who Jesus is. And, and that's actually how you know that you belong to Jesus, is because you believe the word of God, and, and then you see that the Holy Spirit's active in you, making you look more like Jesus. So in our church, we just finished a study on the book of James. And one of the things that James teaches is that we're not just to be hearers of the word, but we're to be doers of the word. 
We're to act in faith on, on who Jesus says he is and what he's called us to. And I think this is really clear in Ephesians chapter 2. I want us to understand that, look, if you know Jesus, you don't have to worry whether you're saved or not. Because God has you. You're his child, okay? You don't have to live with shame and guilt anymore. If you have asked for forgiveness and you know Jesus, you're his child and he loves you. And he's setting you free from most things. You don't have to worry about it. And we're called to live in the truth of that. Okay, and I think Ephesians 2 makes this really, really clear, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul's writing to believers and he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That, that's, that's who we are apart from Jesus. We're dead, spiritually dead. And how many dead people do you know who can fix themselves? Zero. Salvation is not our work. It's the work of God. It's a gift of grace. And he is raising spiritually dead people to life. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirits that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's who we are apart from Jesus. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ, because you were his. If you know Jesus, and, and, and look, if you don't know Jesus this morning, and you're hearing this for the first time, like you can believe him, and you will be brought to life. That's the good news of the gospel, right? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. The Lord will forgive you if you will turn to Jesus. And you can be brought from death to life. And everybody in here who is a believer, okay, that's what's happened to us. That's what's happened to you. That's what's true about you. And so we don't have to like put on airs in front of anybody. If anybody actually understands the Bible, everybody knows in this room that we're all broken people. So we don't have to hide it. We, we, we need to expose it to Jesus and believe Jesus. Take him at his word. Take God's word for what it says. He says he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It's a gift that we didn't deserve. It's, it's something that God does for us. By grace you've been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's part of what God wants us to see. He wants us to see his goodness. He's raised us up so he can show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness. That's what God wants for you. God wants you to know him like that. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then listen to this, for we are his workmanship. God made you. We are his workmanship. If we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Just to wait around, twiddling our thumbs? No. 
created in Christ Jesus for good works. God's inviting us into the things that he's doing. He's letting us take part in, in what he's doing for eternity to rescue a people for himself. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not the frozen chosen, right? We're people who are called to walk in faith, knowing that, that although it feels scary to us sometimes, if we know Jesus, he has good works prepared in advance for us to do. All we got to do is walk in them. And so one of the ways that I like to, to think about this is like a roller coaster. You know, okay, when you get on a roller coaster, like especially those roller coasters that like they go into some kind of tunnel, right? And you're there and you hear people screaming, right? But you can't see exactly what's going on. And, and, but you do see that the roller coaster is coming back around and people are safely getting back off, right? You don't see anybody who's not made it through the roller coaster, hopefully. If they don't, don't get on that roller coaster. But you go in on the roller coaster and it can be scary. You know, there can be drops and there can be unforeseen turns and, and you don't know what's coming up next if you've never been on that roller coaster. But, but you know that you're going to come out on the end all right. That's what it means to be a child of God. Like this life, we're not always going to know what's going to happen. But we do know that God ha has prepared the way for us. And we do know that God has good works prepared in advance for us to do. All we got to do is walk in. All we got to do is believe, have faith, right? Ask the Holy Spirit to be working through us. And he's going to use us. That, that's, the, that's the beauty of what God is, is inviting us into. So, we see in John 17, Jesus is glorified through those who believe. And he prays specifically for those that the Father has given them. He prays that the Father will keep them in his name. He prays that the Father will make us one, right? That we'll be united as believers. And he prays that the Father will keep them just like Jesus kept his disciples when he was physically present with them, right? And the way God does this is he sends a spirit to live in us as believers. And then Jesus prays that his joy might be fulfilled in his followers as they see the Father's plan of salvation coming to, to, to life, coming to fruition. Verse 14, Jesus prays, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. The world hates Jesus because we don't want to admit in, in our sinful nature, we don't want to admit that someone is above us. That we don't have the right to determine however we want our life to go. The world hates Jesus because of that. Like when Adam and Eve first sinned, they doubted God's goodness, okay? And we've been doing the same thing over and over and over again. But we can be forgiven in Christ. And the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to a different kind of way of living. But if we've identified ourselves with Jesus, we can't be surprised that the world hates us because the world hates Jesus. Right? I've given them your word. The world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Because Jesus has given us his word and we've become believers and we've been identified with him and he's brought us out of the world, we don't need to be surprised that the world is going to reject us. Okay? 
And, and look, if, if we don't have God's kingdom like, like, like way of seeing the world, then this might be a surprising prayer to us. Because I think what we naturally want is, is to make this world like our home. We want to build a little kingdom for ourselves where we're always going to be comfortable, right? And we're not surprised by anything and we never have to go through hard things and, and we want everybody to like us. But look what Jesus, his prayer is. It might be surprising to us if that's our way of looking at the world, but Jesus prays not that we would be taken out of the world. Why? Because he has something for us to do before we're taken out of this world, right? He doesn't pray that we would be taken out of the world. He doesn't even pray that the world wouldn't hate us. He doesn't pray that life would be comfortable for us. That's not what Jesus is ultimately concerned with. It's kind of scary a little bit, right? But one of the things the Bible tells us is that what Jesus is offering is way better than what this world has to offer. That, like if we don't have that mindset, this life is going to be really, really hard for us because it's going to be full of disappointment and it's going to be full of hurt. Jesus wants something better than this world for us. He doesn't pray that we'd be taken out of the world. He doesn't pray that the world wouldn't hate us. He doesn't pray that, that, that this world would be comfortable for us all the time. What he prays is that we'd be kept from the evil one, right? That we would be kept from the evil one destroying us and not just destroying us in this life, but destroying us for eternity. That we would be kept from, safe from the evil one and that we would be sanctified. That we would be set apart by the word of truth. That, that we would be made more like Jesus and that we would be sent out into the world, right? Just as the Father has sent Jesus, Jesus is sending us out into the world to accomplish the mission he has until the day comes that he brings us home until he brings us into the fullness of his kingdom. And I think we see this model by Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, verse 27. Peter and John have been put in jail, and, and, and finally they've been released, and, and they're told as they're released, hey, don't go out and preach again, or you're going to end up right back here. And look what happens. It says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. So gathered against Jesus are, are, are the powers of this world, right? Along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, everybody's aligned themselves against Jesus. But then they think that they're working against God's plan, but he says what? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They think they're lashing out at the Lord, Right? But God is using that so that Jesus would give his life to rescue God's people. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Peter and John don't ask that everything's going to go smooth now. They, they say, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answers that prayer. That's what Jesus was praying for them, right? That they would be bold, that, that they would be kept from the evil one, that they'd be sanctified and they'd be sent out into the world. Peter and John ask for boldness and God grants them boldness. And so I think one question for us today is, are, are we exposing ourselves to, the, to, to God's word? Do, do we, are, are we trying to understand what God wants from us? 
Are we being sanctified? Are we being made more like Jesus because we see who he is in God's word? And I think part of the way we diagnose if that's happening in us or not is that we look at what we're hoping for and praying for. Like, what are you asking the Father for? What are your main motivations for praying? Is it always about your comfort? I don't think God doesn't ever want us to pray for those things, okay? But, but those shouldn't be the things that, that, that are at the core of who we are, right? We all have things, hey, God, can you, can you provide me a new job? Hey, God, can you help take care of my family? Hey, God, th- these things are really difficult for me. Can you bring me out of this situation? Those are, are, are totally fine prayers. But what should be at the center is we say, but your will be done. And help me to be bold and help me to trust you in whatever you're walking me through. Help my life to glorify you. We, we should be, what should be at the heart of our prayers that we would be sanctified and used by God to bring him glory no matter the cost. Because the cost is always going to be worth it. That's that's what the Bible tells us. God always keeps his promises, and that's what he's promised us. So Jesus' desire for his people is that they're sanctified, that they're made more like Jesus by the word of truth. And they see that as they look at Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And we see that believers were set apart to declare the word of God, and, and God's going to use this word to draw his people to himself. So finally, verse 20 through 26, Jesus prays. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me, right? Those who will hear the word of God and believe. Jesus has prayed for you. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's what Jesus says. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I've made them, made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. What we see here is Jesus' desire for believers is that they'll all be one in him. Jesus wants us to experience unity. He wants us to have a taste, right, in person of what it means to be joined to him and joined to the Father and joined to one another. And, and look, one of the things that's been so amazing about our time here, and, and I'm so thankful to so many of you, is that we come here, right, and we're immediately welcomed into relationship with you guys. Because we have a bond that, that it's, sometimes this is hard for us to believe, but, but as believers, we have a bond that's deeper than like if we have a family member who doesn't believe in Jesus. It's deeper than blood, even though we've just met, right? And, and this is going to become like more and more apparent the farther we walk. And one day, right, we're going to experience just the, the fullness of what this unity means in Christ, in the fullness of God, beholding him in all his glory. It's just a taste of that, but it's, but it's so beautiful already, Right? That's what God's desire is, that we would be, be one. 
so that people can see the goodness of God, so that they can believe that Jesus actually has come and actually has done what he says he's done. He's made a way for us to be forgiven, and he's joined us to the Father, and he's given us a new kind of life. So Jesus prays for all who will believe that we'll be perfectly one and that we'll be with Jesus in his kingdom one day to see his glory, his glory that's given to him by the Father. And it says, because the Father loved him before the foundation of the world. Like like the crucifixion isn't plan B. This was God's plan from the very beginning, to glorify himself and to rescue people like you and me. God loves you. God loves you. Jesus is the ultimate proof of that. And look, I don't care what hardship is going on in your life. I know those things are hard. We all have those things. But God loves you. You never have to question that because you see that God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you. So Jesus has made the name of the Father known so that we can believe in him and be forgiven and be welcomed into his family. And then God is continuing to do that for people. And the way he's continuing to do that is he sends out his church. He sends people like you and me out to share the good news of Jesus. And look, in America sometimes, I don't know if this is a problem here or not, okay? But in America sometimes, we like to kind of outsource that last part. You know, sometimes it's uncomfortable to tell people about Jesus. And we're like, okay, that's for pastors and missionaries. And, you know, I'll kind of support them. That's not not what Jesus is calling us to. Like, Like my job as a pastor, like what God has called me to do in that one area of my life is to equip the body for ministry, okay? And then as part of the body, just like every one of you who's a believer in here, our job, our calling from the Lord, no matter what our vocation is, our calling is to make Jesus known to share the gospel with our words in particular, right? But then people should see how we're united to other believers and see how we love one another and see that the thing that we're saying about who Jesus is and what he's done is actually true. That's your calling in life. Look, I know a lot of you guys are studying and you're going to be in all kinds of different vocations. Look, God, God, wherever you end up, God is putting you there so that you can make the name of Jesus known there. That's the reality of it. We're all called to this. Jesus is sending us out. And so I think some of the questions for us this morning is, first of all, do you know Jesus? And if you don't know Jesus, I I would love to talk to you about who he is and what he's done. Okay, but there are also people here who are going to be here who can walk alongside you who would love to to tell you about Jesus and who'd love to to help you see who he is, to know more of who he is, okay? So do we know Jesus? And then is there evidence, right? When you look at your life, are you living that out? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Do you fight for unity? Do you love the glory of the Father more than the glory of the world, right? Are you you willing to to go into hard places sometimes and and share? Are you willing to, to, to forego comfort sometimes, because you want to be identified with Jesus and you want your life to bring him glory. So are we willing to have the same mindset of Jesus where we humble ourselves in order to serve and to love others so that people can see who Jesus is, so that Jesus' name can be lifted up to the glory of God? And so 
I just kind of want to leave us with the same thing that my counterpart in about seven hours, six hours, is going to be leaving our church back home, Anchor Church, with this call. Let's be a people who know Jesus, who love him, right? Who see the thing that he's done for us and trust in him. Let's be a people who know Jesus. Let's be a people who make him known with our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. God, we recognize that none of us deserve that. That what we deserve is the just payment for our sin, which is death, which is eternal separation from you. But God, in your goodness and in your love, you sent Jesus for us so that we could be forgiven. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see you. God, that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that want to respond to you. God, we recognize that even that is dependent upon you. But God, we want to be a people who believe. And we want to be a people who live in light of this. So we ask that you move in us, move in our congregation this morning. God, I pray if there's somebody here who doesn't know you, I pray that you be drawing them to yourself. And God, for those of us who do know you, I pray that you give us fresh eyes to see the grace that you've given us. Give us fresh eyes to see this mission that you've called us to, you've commanded us to, but, but that command is like the greatest invitation ever. It's a privilege to be able to serve you. It's a privilege to be able to declare the good news of Jesus. It's a privilege that, that you would use us to draw people to yourself for your glory. God, help us to see that and help us to, to, to believe you and, and to take part in this incredible thing that you're doing. God, thank you for the good news of Jesus. I pray that you draw us into a deeper relationship with you. And I pray that we be people who are bold in following you. I pray all this in Christ's name.